This is Kona Bible Church. Thanks for listening. We pray that you will experience God's blessing as you consider Pastor Brian's latest message from his series, Embrace Submission with Wisdom, from the book of 2 Corinthians. I'm not so sure how well the Judeans uh, knew their history if they were suggesting that they were never slaves. Uh, I mean, I feel like we today could recognize that they were slaves in succession to a number of empires. What was one of the empires that, that Israel was slave to? Let's go with Egypt. Let's go with Egypt, in fact, because as we celebrate the Lord's Supper here today, it was that very supper, uh, the Passover meal, that celebrated deliverance from slavery and bondage to Israel that Jesus was then inviting his followers to observe in the future when you celebrate this deliverance. Do it in remembrance of me, And you can see the connection that I've tried to encourage us all to see in Jesus' teaching here today in John. He is constantly trying to get us to see beyond the mere physical. And that continues in this passage here where he is saying, don't just think about physical bondage and, well, maybe you should spend a little time thinking about it because you don't know your history. Egypt, Assyria, Babylonia, Greece, And currently, as he's speaking to them, who were they in bondage to? Rome. Of course they were slaves. This is ridiculous that they would say that they were not slaves. Uh, No, so think beyond the physical and understand the spiritual bondage that we all lie in. Uh, Jesus says, anyone who practices sin. Paul goes on to say about that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So guess what that means for every one of us? We find ourselves with this unfortunate condition of being slaves to sin. We are in bondage until we meet the person of Jesus Christ. Until we embrace by faith the things that are proclaimed about him and through him. And so today, it's one of the reasons why we come that we gather together to experience not only the proclamation of freedom, but to tangibly nourish ourselves in that freedom. So here we are again. So uh, I just thought it was an odd passage. Uh, It struck me a little bit this morning that the Judeans would say that they are not slaves. Well, that's actually something that people today say. People would today would, would argue with that idea, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And they would, uh, they would question that. And we have to be able to be able to communicate in a gracious way and, and reveal to one another exactly how that exists for each one of us so that we might be able to discover the beauty of grace. Uh, and so here we are celebrating that. Well, uh, I didn't necessarily, I, I focused on those passages. You can go back and listen to those sermons, believe it or not, uh, Reformation Sundays. Rebecca's got those uh, old sermons up. And every year on Reformation Sunday, it's the same passages. So instead of dusting off an old one and, and uh, you know, kind of just relying on the past, I thought I'd give you something new today. How's that? All right. We're going, to get, we're going to look at two different passages. One is Romans 1, 16 through 17. It says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous by faith will live. 
Does anybody know why this is uh, an important passage to look at? This is, as Luke is uh, affirming back there, this is the passage that Luther stumbled onto and shook his world. He, he recognized by reading this going, wait a minute, something is different with what the Bible is proclaiming here than what our tradition has proclaimed. Because over however many centuries, the tradition begot corrupted. And, and that, that feeling of being justified by faith was forgotten. And so here, here Luther sees this passage in, in Romans and he says, wait a minute, this is transformative for the community of faith to recognize this passage. And uh, as you know, in the, if you've been here long enough, the bold-faced print, when we see those things in the scripture passages in the New Testament, those are Old Testament quotes. Uh, this comes from Habakkuk. So this, this exists in the Old Testament where we see and we understand and discover that the reality is that the faith community is not somehow different in Israel than it is in, in the New Testament times. That we are all justified by our faith, whether it's in Israel or in the church. That is how uh, we discover and achieve and, and uh, embrace life. It is how God declares us righteous. Well, that is a nice thing. It is not on the basis of any work that we have done. No, it's on the basis of our believing the proclamation of the gospel so that when God speaks and we hear, we also believe. We believe that he is a God who is able to raise the dead back to life. How does he do it? Through the forgiveness of sins offered in Jesus' name. This has been the testimony as far back as Abraham, who believed that God was able to raise his dead wife's womb back to life in order to fulfill the promise that through Abraham and Sarah, a child would be born, and that through that descendant, a descendant would come that would be able to forgive the sins of the world. Uh, this, this goes, uh, this is a, a continuous thought from the Old Testament through to the New Testament. And so we want to pause here and reflect on that idea, Romans 1, 16 through 17, the righteous by faith will live. It is a necessary component. I pray uh, as a pastor of a Lutheran church in particular that, you, that the, the people here, that our members, that our audience will not be trusting simply in a sacrament, right? The, the physical representation of a spiritual reality but that they will embrace the spiritual reality by faith. You see, the sacrament is no good without faith. You must come to the table in faith, believing that Jesus will forgive you for your sins, uh, not simply drinking a little cup of juice and a little piece of bread. You must go through the waters of baptism in faith. In fact, later, Rebecca will be praying about that baptism that in this tradition, that we as infants who are baptized will be raised up and at a certain age will walk into and affirm the faith that undergirds that rite of baptism. Confirmation. How many of you went through confirmation? I trust that that's what was communicated during your confirmation, that, that the faith of your parents that was expressed in your infant baptism is now being affirmed by you that you too believe what they believed, that there is indeed a God who's able to raise the dead back to life through the forgiveness of sins offered in Jesus' name. It will never change. 
the second passage that I would have us look at is this, Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. You see, the action that we do is after the faith. The faith comes first, and then the response. It's not something that we try, try, the response is not something that we are trying to earn. No, it is an outflow of what has been given. And so this idea of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. I find sometimes in, in Christian communities that people are willing to die for their faith. And that's a, an admirable thing, to think about being martyred for your faith and the courage that it would take in order to die for something that you believe in, I certainly do not want to dismiss that courage. And in fact, next week we will be celebrating the, the saints. And next Saturday we will have a time of prayer for the persecuted church, many of whom are in fact at risk of losing their lives for their faith. But I would hate to diminish the fact of living for your faith. Uh, you see, sometimes I think there's this, this idea that those who die for the faith are somehow greater than those who live for their faith. And the reality is we have been called to be living sacrifices, meaning that day in and day out that we put ourselves on the cross, crucifying the very things that bring death in us and allow us to be examples to the world of what brings life. And you see, that's not an easy thing. When you live in a culture that reinforces the very things that bring death to stand in a river, as a boulder in a river, and allow that current of the culture to pass you by, all the while saying, no, it is indeed the Jesus way that I put my faith on in order to experience life. And you too can experience that as well. And so uh, do not diminish the fact of living for your faith and understand that living for your faith does require a sacrifice, but that sacrifice is an outflow of the very faith that you have been given. Well, it goes on to say this, do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Do you see what Paul is assuming? He is assuming that we don't know those things naturally, that those things actually have to be discovered. They have to be grown into and matured, that you're not going to arrive at what is good and well-pleasing and perfect simply by accident, but that it is something that you have to engage in. And it really requires this idea of two things, not conforming to the world and being transformed. And so when I think about this, I think what, what we can honor Martin Luther today is be by, by considering this idea. Because what Paul's saying, suggesting there in that passage is it's not one or the other. You're not standing in a neutral place and, and somehow that's a third position of just going, well, I'm not going to be conformed to the world, but I'm not really ready to be transformed by the renewing of my mind either. I'll just, you know, hang out right here. No, what he's suggesting is you are either being conformed to the world or you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is no third position for Paul. And so what this means as he's talking there then is this idea of going, oh, 
we are at risk every day that we wake up of being conformed to the pattern of this world. Now, when I think about that, I think of two different entities. One, I think of me, the individual, at being at risk of being conformed to the pattern of this world. And, and isn't it interesting that, that the enemy has installed in every one of our homes this little box, these little devices that, that just broadcast the pattern of this world to each one of us. You see, we no longer have to go to the arena to be able to be conformed into the pattern of this world. We have the arena right in our very hands. You see, we're at risk of being conformed to the pattern of this world. I wonder, as we hear the broadcast of the war that is going on in Israel, the war that's going on in Ukraine, whether or not our uh, mental understanding of war is being conformed to the pattern of this world or if it is being transformed by the renewing of our mind. How many of us are, are willing to, 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 to echo uh, what is being broadcast there, or are we going to stand up and say there is a prince of peace that we long for to come and bring peace, and that peace is only available when we avail ourselves of the cross and the empty tomb. And until that point, war will continue but come and embrace the way of Jesus? Or are we echoing the pattern of this world that says, well, if it was done to them, then they should be able to do it back to them, which has been the pattern of the Middle East for generation after generation. No, the gospel needs to be proclaimed. And we, the people who have the devices of the broadcast of the arena very much in our hands have to recognize that the confirmation to the pattern of this world is a very present risk to ourselves individually. It goes beyond just war. It goes to money. How much of what is being proclaimed in the arena talking about money is conforming our understanding of money? Or are we coming back to the gospel that says, in order to achieve wealth, you must become what? Generous. That is not something that you will hear from the device or the arena. It is something that is, is being renewed by the transforming your mind by hearing the proclamation of the gospel and the Jesus way. It's not just power. It's not just money. It's, it's all areas that we can look at. If you want to understand this, just go to Proverbs and, and commit yourself to reading a proverb a day, a, a chapter of Proverbs a day. It'll take you right through the, the month, each, each day. 31 chapters of that, and you can just examine this wisdom of Jesus being communicated to people and going, oh, I need to have my mind renewed by the principles of the gospel found in the Proverbs. As you do that, you will begin to be able to test and approve what the arena is putting forth and broadcasting, and you will be able to begin to take the pulse and be able to say, no, that doesn't sound like the Jesus way. No, it, it sounds like the way of the world, which is a cyclical pattern that leads to death. And so when I think of conforming or the risk of conforming to the pattern of this world, I also think then, not just individually, oh, but corporately as well. You see, institutions are made up of people. 
And if people are at risk of being conformed to the pattern of this world, then collective groups of people are also at risk of being conformed to the pattern of this world. Now, that involves churches as well. In fact, that is why we have this day set aside. Because there was a young monk who one day recognized as he looked around and he studied scripture, he looked around at the, at the institution that he was involved in and he recognized something is not right. He took the pulse of the institution and he said, this is not in alignment with the gospel. No, the gospel needs to be proclaimed. We need to experience a reformation. And yet that institution being so steeped in the, in the arena, so steeped in the confirmation of the world, chose not to, be, uh, to avail themselves of that reformation immediately. They did a little bit later, to their credit, they did examine some, some of those things called the counter-reformation the Roman Catholic Church went through. And so they, they chose a generation later to examine some of those principles, but in the moment, they did not avail themselves. No, they chose to, to hold on to their devices, to hold on to the rhetoric of the arena, to hold on to the rhetoric of Wall Street, to hold on to the rhetoric of the world and not avail themselves of the truth of the gospel. You see, when Paul was going around proclaiming this gospel message, he got to a, a, a town called Berea. And you know what Berea is famous for? This is a church that said, we're going we're gonna to take the pulse of what you are proclaiming to us, and we are going to measure that according to what? To Scripture. So the Bereans, listening to Paul, they went back to Scripture and said, is your message aligning with Scripture, or is it aligning to the arena. And they affirmed, oh, Paul is on to something here because his message is aligning to Scripture. You see, that's what we have to do. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind rooted in examining what Scripture is teaching so that we can take the pulse of, of one, ourselves individually, two, the institutions that we are a part of, and be able to really examine, is what they are proclaiming more consistent with the arena, more consistent with Wall Street, more consistent with the patterns of this world, or is it consistent with Scripture? Because it is on Scripture we will stand. And so this is what the young monk did. He came back and he examined Scripture, and he, he brought this forward for people to examine. And there were some who looked around and said, you know what? Even though my granddaddy and, and grandmommy, even though they were part of this church, this church is now different than what it has become. Uh, the church that they were a part of did not sell indulgences, but now they are selling salvation. They are selling release from eternal punishment as a, as a way out. No, that's a different church. You see, they didn't stand on, on simply their heritage. No, they looked at it and they came back to Scripture, just like their grandmother and grandfather would have done. This is what the young monk did. The message is no different today. I understand this Lutheran tradition. I've taken historical theology. I understand the pattern of what is happening I understand the longings that we have as people to be careful about that tradition, 
because the tradition oftentimes protects us from straying off. off. But as soon as the gospel is set aside in, in place of the device in our hand, in place of the arena, so that we can conform to the pattern of this world, oh, that is no longer the church of our grandmothers and our grandfathers. And so we ought to be like the young monk. We ought to come back and say, it is not my heritage that I will uh, appeal to for why I attend a church. It is scripture for why I attend a church. The institutions and collectives that we have as individuals will be because we stand on scripture. Sola scriptura. Sola fide. These same principles that were involved in the Reformation are once again at risk today. Where will you stand? Will you, will you join Martin Luther once again in proclaiming this tradition and stand solidly on sola scriptura and sola fide and abandon those voices of the devices that are echoing the things that come from the arena, the things that come from Wall Street? In that case, then, what we will do is we will always be reforming. That's the call. The Reformation was not just for one generation. The Reformation is for every generation because the world is just with loud voices saying, abandon the book. Abandon abandon the incarnation of the book. Abandon him. We have a better way. And each generation of faith needs to stand up and say, as loud as those voices are, I will not bend the knee to those voices. I will stand on the book. I will stand on the incarnation of the book. His name is Jesus. He's a real person. He wants to be in relationship with you, and he wants to be in relationship with me. And we can nourish ourselves on that proclamation of the gospel once again this morning. Will you join me at the table? As you join me at the table, will you affirm that you will always be reforming? Father, this is our prayer. We've had some great men and women of the faith in our community pass away, and the baton is there waiting for us to grasp. David Reese Thomas, Lauren Cunningham, Father, these, these voices who have, are, were pioneers and forerunners of, of the gospel here in Kona most recently have gone on to glory, and they would echo these very same things, and they, they are passing the baton to the next generation and asking us, will we continue to be transformed by the renewing of our mind in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Logos, the Word of God? Father, today we affirm that for the Lutheran Church of the Holy Trinity. As we approach your table, will you just stir in us? Will you pour out your spirit in a way that that we will be able to, to embrace the spirit's leading toward truth and not toward the world? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.